Now we're going to begin in verse 7, and we're going to start looking at these visions. Chapters 1 through 6 have either 8 or 10 visions, depending on how you divide them up, and we'll look at that as we go. But all of these visions have to do with God's dealing with the nation of Israel. And so let's read this text, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Look at verse 7, Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 7. Upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month of Sebat, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo the prophet, saying, I saw by night, and behold a man riding upon a red horse, and he stood among the myrtle trees. How many of you know somebody named Myrtle? Interesting, isn't it? We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, that stood among the myrtle trees that were in the... How many of you are glad you're not named Myrtle? All right. Uh, that stood among the myrtle trees that were in the bottom, and behind him were red horses, speckled and white. Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show you what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem? And on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast had indignation, these threescore and ten years, those seventy years. And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for, for Zion with great jealousy. And I am very sore, displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, please help us as we study this passage this morning and this evening. Lord, help us this morning to get an overview of what you're trying to say, and then tonight to look at a, a more detailed interpretation of the text. Lord, please help us to, to see that you have a plan and that you have chosen us to be part of your plan. What a, what a blessing and a tremendous gift that is. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, how many of you who are reading that text are saying, what in the world is going on here? And it is. It's a, it's, it's a difficult thing, but we're going to take some time and break it down. But there are some things that are very simple to understand. The first thing that I want you to look at, look at verse 7. Upon the four and twentieth day of the eleventh month, which is the month Sebat. Now, what is this? That's a Babylonian date. It's not a Jewish calendar. It's a Babylonian calendar. Why? God had pulled these people. Now, you young people, I need you to look up here at me, okay? It's the only way I know that you're paying attention. How many of you have heard me say that before? All right. How many of you parents are going to beat your kids when you get home? 
Raise your hands. Okay. Amen. Good. Um, and I know somebody out there is saying, I can't believe he said beat those kids, those precious little angels. Nobody should beat those precious little kids. Anyway, different sermon. Now, what's going on in this text is really important. Notice the dating in a Babylonian calendar because what had happened was these people had come out of Babylon, but all of Babylon hadn't come out of them. They were still being controlled by Babylon. And we need to understand something. Do you realize how much can change in 70 years? Yeah. Is there anyone here who's 70 years old or older? Would you raise your hand? Some of you ladies didn't raise your hand. I know you are. <laughs> Have things changed? It's unbelievable, isn't it? I want you to imagine what had happened in Jerusalem in 70 years. It had been neglected. Can you imagine how dilapidated it was, what had happened? Not only had it been destroyed militarily, but time had come in. I imagine the sands had blown in. It must have been a horrible thing. Just look at what's happened to Detroit in the last 70 years. Anybody here want to live in Detroit? You can buy a house there for like $2. Of course, you only live for about 30 minutes, but that's all right. It's interesting to see how bad things can get in a very short period of time. How many of you have noticed things in the last 20 years that you never thought you'd see? I never thought I'd see public officials talking about gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual people. And talking about... People can love anyone who they want to love. I never thought that I would see a president stand up and say those things. A, sec a secretary of state and a former secretary of state saying those things. And what's even worse is the Republicans, the people that many people in here would identify with, are saying the same things. Man, I'm thankful for Rand Paul's stand on the economy and on, on liberties and things like that. But he's all for gay marriage. He's all for that. These people don't understand the laws of God. And I, 30 years ago, I could never imagine that happening in America because that is simply inviting the judgment of God on our culture. Yeah. Amen? And now look, uh, if you're a visitor here, um, I want you to be very clear who we are. I want you to be very clear who we are. We love the Word of God more than anything else. Let God be true and every man a liar. We do not hate sodomites. We do not hate those people. As a matter of fact, we love them so much, we want them to get out of that destructive lifestyle. We want them to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and understand that that road will only lead them to destruction. According to the book of Romans... Amen? Because whenever we make statements like that, there are Christians who get very uncomfortable because the culture is so much against what we are saying. Well, look, we're not supposed to submit to the culture. We're supposed to transform the culture. Amen? Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. We are to be transformed by the Word of God. We're not supposed to be transformed by the culture. And then that transformation that takes place in our lives, we're supposed to go and share that with the world and allow them to be changed. 
Look, we can't change our position because people we love have made bad choices. The Word of God is still true. We've got to rely on that. And the way that a culture can change so quickly, imagine what had happened to the Jewish people in Babylon for 70 years. And God sent some post-exile. Post-exile, the exile is when they were taken into Babylon. These post-exilic prophets, Haggai, uh, Zechariah, and Malachi, they, ref they talked to the people differently than the prophets before the exile. Why? Because these people hadn't been able to sacrifice. These people hadn't been able to worship properly. They didn't know God the way that they needed to know Him. And so God reveals Himself to them in a very, very special way. What's interesting about this date, it gives us the exact date. On our calendar, it would be February 15th. Specific, detailed information about what God has done. Isn't that exciting? Is that Kayla's birthday or something? No? Who's it's, it's Carrie's birthday. And you just had a special birthday, didn't you? No. What happened on that birthday? <laughs> Why don't you stand up and tell us all about it? <laughs> this was a very specific date that God gave for the people. What's interesting is this is five months after the beginning of Haggai's prophesying. It's three months after the beginning of Zechariah's prophesying. And the people had begun rebuilding the temple. They had listened to the prophecy. They had listened to the command of the prophet of God. And they had begun building the temple. So what did God want them to do? Continue. Continue. What does God want you to continue? Now, don't raise your hand on this. But has God begun something in you? Has God convicted you, the Holy Spirit of God convicted you about something in your life that you need to change? Has God uh, taken you on a path of memorizing Scripture or reading your Bible or giving someone the gospel or serving in a ministry or maybe in being involved in one of our teams trying to hit every town, every home in Sydney and in Troy and in Piqua and all these things that we're trying to accomplish? Has God brought that into your life? Well, maybe do you need to continue? Have you slowed down? Do you need to take that next step? Continue. That's what God was challenging these people to do. But I want you to see what was going on. Keep your place here in Zechariah, of course, and go to the book of Luke. Luke 21, verse 24. Why does God speak to His people in Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi in a different way? than he had spoken to them before. Why does that happen? Well, look at uh, Luke chapter 21, and verse 24. Look what the Bible says. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword. This is Jesus Christ prophesying what's coming to Jerusalem. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, I know that uh, several years ago, um, when we looked at that verse, and it's probably been 10 years ago now, we, we talked about how we were living on borrowed time, how the times of the Gentiles were fulfilled in 1948 when the nation of Israel was reestablished. How many of you remember us talking about that? How many of you were sleeping that day? <laughs> 
Jay, I thought you had your hand up when I asked that. You're rubbing your eye. He was rubbing his eye like this. And I thought he said he was sleeping that day. That was, that was funny. Don't make the preacher laugh while I'm preaching, man. You can't do that. Um, and you know what I saw, though? And we, we just, as we were doing our study through Bible prophecy on Wednesday nights over the last couple of years, what I realized is that the people aren't really back in the land yet. That little sliver of land that Israel has is not the promised land. They, they've got to go from the Euphrates River to the Nile River and all of the land in between, it's, it's theirs. Is that right? It's theirs. Now, they don't have all of that land yet. So the times of the Gentiles haven't been fulfilled yet. The times of the Gentiles will come when Jesus Christ returns and establishes His kingdom. All right, that's when the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So when the rapture takes place and then God deals with the nation of Israel and deals with all of the other nations, that's when the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. And that's going to be the falling of the sword and all of the stuff that happens in the tribulation period. When do the times of the Gentiles begin, though? With the exile. When God pulled the people out of Israel. That's when they were under pagan kings. And they have been, it's been the times of the Gentiles ever since then. When they went back in the land and they were able to rebuild the walls and rebuild the temple, they were still under the authority of another ruler. They were under the authority of Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome. And then ultimately they were destroyed under Rome. Is that right? And now where are they? They're scattered all around. Look, look at uh, James chapter 1. We're getting the context of this prophecy, of this, of this vision of Zechariah. James chapter 1, look at verse 1. James 1, 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are gathered in Jerusalem. What's it say? Which are scattered abroad. They're gone. They're all over the place. Look at uh, 1 Peter. Go to the next book of your Bible. 1 Peter. Peter, 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. When you see that word elect, it's always Jesus or the people that are in Christ. It's always Jesus, the Jews, or the people that are in Christ. We're grafted into the vine. We have all this information by comparing the words of Scripture. So you have the times of the Gentiles, which began with the carrying away of the children of Israel, putting them under pagan rule, and that will happen again until the king returns to rule them. Now here's what Zechariah is about, this first vision of Zechariah. Now there are either eight or ten, let's just call them eight, and they're all in chapters one through six of Zechariah. And they all took place in one night. And it doesn't say that it was a dream. He was awake. This was a vision that God gave him while he was awake. And they're all connected. And we're going to get this information and break it down. And it's really amazing what God chose to do. But we have to understand how devastating this carrying away was and what happened. Go to Ezekiel chapter 10. Ezekiel chapter 10. Look at verse 18, I believe. So this is what happened in the temple. Then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house and stood over the cherubims. And the cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up from the earth in my sight. 
When they were out, the wheels also were beside them, and everyone stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them above. What happened? God's glory left the temple. It left. And so God destroys the temple. He destroys Israel. He destroys it all. Now, who did that? The Babylonians did that. But they could not have done that unless God had allowed them to do it. And when they did it, they touched the apple of God's eye, and we're going to look at their responsibility for doing that in a minute. But this was a horrible thing. We need to understand that God means what He says, but it's really important. You've got to see this. Please don't miss this, because this is the part of understanding the Bible that most Christians in the world today miss. And it's getting worse, worser and worser. Look at Romans chapter 11, verse 29. I wanted Andy Joins to understand a little bit of the sermon. Don't turn me off. <laughs> All right, Romans chapter 11. Let's, let's back up a little bit to verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. The fullness of the Gentiles, the times of the Gentiles, what's going on? The Gentiles are ruling over Israel. God is dealing primarily right now with the church. Right? But don't be ignorant about this. Look at what it says. Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, verse 26. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Zion uh, the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob, Israel and Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. So what's going on? The, the, the Jewish leaders at this point are the enemies of the Christians. They're trying to have them killed. They're trying to have them shut up. They're doing everything they can to stamp them out. Right? But look at what it says. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sakes. Now, how about that? How many of you have ever been, heard somebody talk about that you can't get saved unless you're one of the elect? Well, here you have two different things. You have the gospel and the election. They're the enemies of the gospel, but they're part of the election. Is that what it says? Why? Because the elect is Israel. It's Jesus Christ. And then we're grafted into the vine, so we're part of it. All right? Now, we can spend some more time on that later. But look at what it says in verse 29. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. What gifts? The gift of the gospel to you. God's not going to take it away. He's not going to give you the gospel, and then if you mess up, take it away from you. And his covenant with Israel is not to be repented of. It's an unconditional covenant. God said, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. And God said that his gifts and his calling, they're without repentance. God's not going to turn back on it. He's not going to change his mind on it. He's not going to turn away from it. God's not done with the nation of Israel. Isn't that wonderful? What does that tell you? That whatever God promises you, he's going to keep it. What a blessing that is. Okay, back to Zechariah. <clears throat> so that's the context of this. What? You say, Pastor, all that's from the date? Yeah, it's very significant. God is dealing with these people 
as if they are part of Babylon. It's very interesting the way that he's talking with them. Even though he's called them out, he's finished with his judgment of them as they have repented. Um, Now, there is a pattern for each of these visions. All right, and the pattern goes like this. There's a description of what's seen. So here you have the description of the horses among the myrtle trees in the bottom. Now, how many people do we have here from Kentucky? Would you raise your hand? How many of you know what the bottom is? Yeah, the, the, the holla. I can't say it right. That sounds like, you know, that sounds like 50, 50 cent, holla. Um, <laughs> the holler, the holler. That's the bottom. <laughs> it's like another language you people speak. Us Yankees, we don't do that too well. Now, so the, that's, there's a description of what's going on. And then there's a question as to the meaning. Now, as we read this, how many of you would question the meaning? What in the world is this talking about? Now, this is not something that's unusual. Remember what Jesus Christ would do. Jesus Christ would speak to the multitude. He'd speak to the multitude. And they didn't understand it. Then his disciples would come and say, what did that mean? Because he spoke in a parable. And then he gave his disciples the understanding. Why didn't the majority of the people understand it? Because Jesus didn't want them to. Why didn't he want them to? Mercy and grace. Because he knew they were going to reject it. And if they had received it, they would have been under greater condemnation. Their judgment would have been worse. That's the grace of God. So now God speaks to Israel again. Zechariah, he gives Zechariah this vision. And in the vision, there's a conversation. And so you have a description of the things seen a question of the meaning, and then an explanation. And the explanation is what's vital to us this morning. We're going to look at the explanation this mor- or then this evening. We'll look at the, the, the cool stuff in the, in the vision. So if you want the cool stuff, come back. The boring stuff is right now. Okay? Um, so what's going on? What's going on here? God is going to give... Three declarations and four words of comfort. Three declarations and four words of comfort. But let's try to break down a little bit of this vision so that you can get some understanding. Look at verse 8. I saw by night, and behold, a man riding upon a red horse. Now, when you see this red horse, first of all, when you're seeing horses here, it's authority. All right? And we're not going to take the time to break that down. But God uses horses in the Bible as, as a symbol of His authority. Riding the red horse, the red horse's judgment. That red, the blood red in the, in the temple. You have the, the bull skins dyed red. It's all about judgment. And that's what's going on. And this man riding the red horse, and you have some other horses that are not, uh, they don't show them as having riders. And notice you have in the text horses talking. A horse is a horse, of course, of course. But here it was... How many of you have no idea what I was just talking about? Would you raise your hand? You have no idea what I was just saying. How many of you know exactly what I was... Okay, Wilbur. <laughs> now, we, we see you know, television shows with animals talking and everything. That's not really that unusual in the Bible. You know, Balaam's ass spoke. Um, you have the beast in Revelation that speaks. The Bible says all of creation speaks. Uh, So those things aren't necessarily that unusual in the Scriptures. Um, So let's go on. And we're going to break some of that down more this evening and talk about it. 
Then look at what it says. I will show you the end of verse 9. We'll show you, we'll show thee what these be. The man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees. Now, the angel of the Lord, in the Old Testament, when you see the angel of the Lord, it's a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. What do I mean by pre-incarnate? Incarnate. Uh, somebody that eats flesh is a carnivore. It's flesh. So before Jesus Christ came in the flesh, as Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He appeared in the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. So when you see the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's Jesus Christ. So what's going on here? You have the myrtle trees. The myrtle trees. What does that have to do with? Well, the myrtle... Do you know what Esther means? Hadassah. And Hadassah is myrtle. And so this is Jesus Christ in the midst of Israel, His people. And notice where it says they are. They're in the bottom. So Israel's in a very low place. Israel's in a very low place. Now, how many of you think Israel's in a low place after 70 years of captivity, going back and seeing the devastation of their city? It was horrible. It was horrible. Do you know what God's saying? I'm right in the middle of you. Jesus Christ is saying, I'm right here. I'm right here with you. Tonight, we're going to take a look at this. I'll take, read this with me. Look at verse 10 again. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord hath sent to walk to and fro through the earth. What are they doing? They're going to and fro through the earth. And what are they looking for? They're looking for how the nations, what is the nation's attitude toward Israel? What, how are the nations treating the people of God? And these horses come back and give an answer. They come back and give an answer to who? To Jesus Christ. And what's their answer? Look at what it says. Verse 11. And they answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees. Do you see where he is again among the myrtle trees? What's repetition in the Bible? God's volume control. <laughs> Jesus Christ is with his people. Look at what it says. They answered the angel of the Lord that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth. And look at what it says. And behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Now look, as we read that, we're thinking, this is good. There's no war. There's nobody coming against the people of God. Everybody's at rest. We think that that's good. There's peace. We think that's great. That's not what Jesus thinks. That's not what Jesus Christ thinks about it. Why? Look at what it says. Read on. Verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts. Do you see the distinction here? You have the angel of the Lord Jesus talking to the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. This is a conversation in the Godhead. And Jesus Christ is asking God the Father a question. Then the angel of the Lord, of, then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts. How long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the city of Judah against which thou hast had indignation these three score and ten years? So Jesus Christ says to God the Father, how long is this judgment going to go on? These three score and ten years, are you going to have mercy on your people now? And so now what do we have? Let's look at these declarations, the declarations and the... Uh, comforting words. Let's look at the first 
declaration. The first declaration. Look at verse 14. So the angel that communed with me said unto me... Now, a little bit of confusion that might take place here. There are two angels in the text. There's the angel of the Lord and the angel that's talking with Zechariah. The angel of the Lord doesn't speak to Zechariah. He speaks to the Father and he speaks to those horses that he sent out. He speaks to the angel, and then the angel communicates with Zechariah, and he's giving him the communication. So, Why in the world would that happen? Well, let's see if we can find out. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. <clears throat> this is speaking about Jesus Christ being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son? Now, how many of you would say, since you're saved, you're a son of God? Now, look at what this text says. I want you to notice something. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. Now, I want you to see this. This is very important. It's talking about Jesus Christ being the only begotten Son of God. The Bible says in John 1, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not, but to as many as received Him, to them gave He power to be called the sons of God. The Bible says, and now are you the sons of God. That's what the Bible says to us, those of us who are believers. Is anybody saved here? All right, so you're called a son of God. Well, what's the distinction then? Well, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His... Not if you have an NIV. If you have a modern translation, it says His only Son. It's His only begotten Son. There's a clear distinction in Scripture between the only begotten Son, the only one that emanates from the Father. There's only one of those. And it's Jesus Christ. We become sons of God when we receive Him as our Savior. What, what happens? Then we are in Christ. When we are in Christ, then we can become a son of God. And then we become heirs and joint heirs with Christ. And He treats us not as strangers, but as children. That's awesome. Not as servants, but as children. Praise the Lord for that. So we become sons of God after that we receive Him as our Savior. But there's only one begotten Son of God. And look at what He says the angels are to be. Look at what He says. Let all the angels of God worship Him. At the end of verse 6, look at verse 7. And of the angels, He saith, who make His angels spirits and His ministers a flame of fire. And so what are those ministers supposed to do? They communicate the Word of God. Jesus Christ will speak, and those angels take that message to whoever Jesus Christ tells them to take it. That's what was going on here. So go back with me to Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah chapter 1. Okay, so let's briefly look at these words of comfort. These words of comfort. First of all, look at verse 14. So the angel that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, here we are, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, this is the first declaration, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. I am jealous with a great jealousy. So the first one is very simple. 
God is jealous for His people. You all understand what jealousy is? I heard James Knox. I listened to James Knox's sermon on this, and he told the story of this little girl. Her dad comes home, and she, he sees her all happy skipping up the driveway. And he says, what have you been doing? She said, I've been playing mailman. And he said, really? She said, yeah, I found these, these, these pretty smelling letters up in the attic, and I've taken them and I've put them in every mailbox on the street. Can you imagine these husbands coming home and getting this smelly letter from some other lady? How many of you think there might be some jealousy there? That's jealousy. Jealousy. Um, imagine some guy walking up and kissing your wife and your wife liking it. Jealousy. These kids are going, Ick! Jealousy. That's the way that God feels for His people. He loves His people. He's jealous for them. And here's something that's very important that you get for today. And this is written 500 years before Jesus Christ came at Bethlehem. 500 years before Christ, Jesus Christ is jealous about Jerusalem. God the Father is jealous about Jerusalem. You know He's still jealous about Jerusalem and His people? Don't miss this. God is not looking with an indifferent eye at what's going on in the Middle East right now. Our president going over there. And the way that he speaks to the leaders of Jerusalem, the way that he continues to talk about a two-state solution and going back to the 1967 borders and the right of repatriation and all of those issues. If you go back to the 1967 borders, they no longer have Jerusalem. What's Jerusalem called? The city of God. See, it's not the Jews' city, it's God's city, and God gave it to His people, Israel. Is that right? And how about the, 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 the union of our country with the Muslim Brotherhood? When the Muslim Brotherhood has said that their, that their desire is to see Israel completely destroyed and not to acknowledge it. Well, the, the new president of Egypt is a member of the Muslim Brotherhood. God is watching all of this. And God will judge our nation based on what our leaders are doing in Israel. We need to know what's going on with that. Now, people are speculating that President Obama has given the green light to Israel to take out the, the nuclear plants in Iran. Maybe, maybe not. How many of you think that Israel ought to need to ask the United States? That's interesting, isn't it? That's interesting. And notice what he has said. Our president has said over and over again. I, I read oh, five or six news reports on what was happening, and I read them from the Israeli newspapers this morning. And our, I've got a friend who's a missionary there, Jay Ross, and he sends us these articles from the Jerusalem or from the Israeli papers. And the, the conversations that are going on over there. And what the president has said is Israel has a right to defend itself. And we're their friend. That's what he says. But he has not said, he has not said, if you attack Israel, you're attacking the United States of America. Do you know that that's what the NATO alliance is? 
if you attack a NATO nation, then you're at war with all the NATO nations. That's the point of that. Now, how many of you think that we ought to be a better friend to Israel than that? Is that right? We need to tell those nations because here's the problem. A couple of things that will happen. If Israel, on their own, bombs Iran, well, then all the Muslim nations in the area will want to attack Israel. Why would our president want that to happen? Now, look, if you're not from here, if you've not heard the history of President Obama and what he believes, then this is going to sound crazy to you. It's going to sound crazy to you. It's just true. He's a Marxist revolutionary, and he likes revolution. He thinks that's the way that you bring about change, hope and change. How does that happen? Through revolution. Right? What was the first thing that he did when he went to Egypt? He went to Egypt, and he went to the college students and stirred them up. Uh, Mubarak said, don't do that. Don't stir up these people. Don't have meetings with the Muslim Brotherhood. Don't, as the President of the United States, don't acknowledge the Muslim Brotherhood leaders and what happened. Mubarak's gone, and what do we have in charge in Egypt? So what did our president do in Israel? He went and spoke to the college students. And he said, you need to force your leaders. You need to apply pressure on your leaders. Well, what? Now, do we have any college students in here? Would you raise your hand? Any college students? I know you're here. I love you guys. But let me say this. What do college students know? Nothing! Nothing! They're just little pools of disparate ideas and lots of hormones and passions. And the people said, Amen. Amen. And so what he does is he goes in there and he stirs up the passions of these young people gets them all stirred up, and they're going to try and put pressure on Israel to have a two-state solution so that you can have peace. How do you have peace with people that don't agree you have the right to exist? You can't. Folks, how can we believe that God is looking at this and doesn't care? God is jealous for His people. It's what it says in this text. Now... I neglected to say something to you about the scope of these prophecies. These prophecies begin with the building of this second temple and they extend all the way through the establishing of His kingdom when He returns. So what He's writing about right here, it applies to us right now. God is still jealous for His people. That's His first declaration. What's His second declaration? His second declaration. Look at verse 15. And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are, what's it say? At ease. Now look, they're not making war on his people right then. He's still sore displeased with them. Then what does it say? I was a little displeased with them. Why? Because they're heathen. Right? They're heathen. God doesn't like the heathen. He's displeased with them. You say he loves them. He loves them so much he wants them to be saved, but they're condemned already. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Mark chapter 16. Is that what the Bible says? God's angry with the wicked every day. He's ang if you have a God that doesn't have anger, you don't have a biblical God. It's like the conversation I had with the right state administrator who said she believed in Jesus, but her Jesus wasn't the Jesus of the Bible. Right? That's like me saying I believe in the Easter Bunny. The Easter Bunny doesn't exist. 
what was uh, what was the the oh the guy that had his friend that old movie Harvey does does Harvey exist no you can believe you can believe in anything that you want to believe in you know you can believe in Darth Vader. <laughs> Look at this. Some kid over here was just called to preach. <laughs> I believe in Darth Vader. You can believe in anything that you want to believe in that doesn't make it real. Is that right? And if you're going to believe in God, you've got to believe in the God of the Bible. That's the way that He's revealed Himself. He's revealed Himself in the Scriptures. And what's interesting is you go outside and you look at the heavens. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. And the Bible says this, that, that the heavens... That the heavens declare His wrath, His power and Godhead so that they're without excuse. If people are looking at the heavens they don't recognize we have a wrathful God, they're not looking at the God that created the heavens, according to Romans 1. And so we have this God of wrath that's angry with the heathen, and He was already displeased with the heathen until they messed with His people, and now He's sore displeased with them. It's very interesting when you see that God is jealous about His people... And he's angry with the heathen. And you ready for this? We are becoming the heathen. Because we are at ease with his people. But we are not for them. How many of you think we're in dangerous territory right now as a nation? It matters. All of this matters. Now, let me be very clear. I don't know that Rand Paul would be any better on Israel than, than President Obama. I don't think John McCain... It, this is not a Republican-Democrat thing. This is a nation that's turning away from God and doesn't believe His Word. Now, so he's angry, so he's jealous, and he's displeased. These are declarations. There's a third one. Look at what it says in verse 16 again. Therefore... Thus saith the Lord, uh, I am, I am, re let's back up to verse 14. So the angel of the Lord that communed with me said unto me, Cry thou, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with a great jealousy. And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. For I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. That's the affliction of his people. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. So what's he going to do? Not only is Jesus jealous, God the Father, not only are they jealous for Jerusalem, he's angry with the heathen, and he is going to judge the heathen and destroy them. That's implicit in that. In order to build the nation, he's got to destroy the other nations. So now, here's four comforting words and we'll be done. Four comforting words. You know what? Let's do the four comforting words this evening. Um, how many of you can say amen to that? Amen. We, we have to get this. The, this message from Israel, from Zechariah, let's, let's get some, some handles to, to, put, take, to, to put on it to carry it home. Number one, they're in the times of the Gentiles. All right, so there's Gentile rulers over the people of Israel. And so they, they're not controlling their destiny yet. That's the times of the Gentiles. God's dealing with them differently than He did before the exile. All right? Secondly, 
God still loves His people and He's jealous over them and He's going to judge the nations that are against them. God's word can be trusted. When God makes a promise, He doesn't go back on that promise. It doesn't matter what we do. If God made that promise, He's not going back on it. Is that right? We can trust Him and God will judge His enemies. He will judge His enemies. And if we have a God that's not that God, it's not the God of the Bible. We need to pray for our nation, pray for our leaders, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Now, I've got to say this. Let's make this very clear. Netanyahu's not a born-again believer. Shimon Perez does not believe the way that we believe. These people, they, 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 most, they're, they're very liberal in their thinking. They don't really even believe in God, many of the Jewish leaders. They, everything they've done to the Palestinians has not been good. All of their political decisions have not been good, but they're God's people and we need to stand beside them. We have to understand what's going on over there. And we will be held accountable because God is a jealous God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.